your word. We want to thank you that we're gathered here to hear a fresh word from you. And so I pray now that you would open our eyes and help us to see what has been true for thousands of years and help us to be able to live into the narrative that you are telling us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning we are continuing. Who can tell me or who can remember the name of the series that we're in? Did I ever tell it to you? It starts with, yes, Lord, but uh, how many of you, you guys, must, you guys might have seen this, you might have heard of this, somebody might have told you, you might have seen it on the evening news, but there is a story of a pastor who went to eat at a restaurant, and then the pastor wrote this on the check. I give God 10%, why do you get 18 now, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the way this works, when you go to a restaurant, if there's a party of eight or more, you going to happen, okay? When you go to Applebee's, this is what happens. So one of the waitresses, one of the servers, um, saw this, takes a picture of it, puts it on the internet, right? That's what we do now. We see something that's funny or weird, we, we like it, we post it on the internet. Now, she wasn't the one that waited on the pastor, but she saw it, so she posted it. And um, the pastor uh, was really upset. So what ends up happening is the girl who posted it gets fired, which because she shared someone's personal information. To write a note like that. And so we look at this and we say, that's not what we expect out of our pastors. It gets even better, okay? She not only wrote this, but when it came time to pay for the bill, she was going to pay for all of it. So you guys thought it was a guy pastor, right? But it wasn't. Finally, we didn't do something, right? <laughs> Seems like men are always doing this kind of stuff. Not only when she came time, when it came time for her to pay, this is what trick that she did. She asked if she could have all separate checks, hoping that they wouldn't charge the 18% gratuity. When we hear stories like this, bit skeptical of people and of pastors, I suppose, because we expect more. So there's another story that I want to share with you. That's a $1 million fake bill, I guess. I don't know if it's real, but I found it on the internet. So these last, I believe this last week and a half or two weeks, um, you may have noticed on television, on the news, on the internet, on Facebook, all of your friends were probably talking about it around the water cooler, a cop killer who was going around and trying to get revenge, and so he was trying to kill. There's a loophole, is what was coming out of this. They said, we will give $1 million to anyone that, will lead, that, to anyone that gives us a tip that will lead to the capture and conviction of this unnamed cop killer. But we know that he, he ended up killing himself. So where's the million dollars going? They're off the hook. We hate it. We hate it when these kinds of things happen. We don't like it when people say one thing and then do another. People don't like it when you say something and do a completely different thing. And we all do it to some degree, but we hate it when people do that. A million dollars. This person thought they were going to get a million dollars because they lead, they help to lead to the finding this man, and now they're saying, well, there was a loophole. I'm really glad I didn't take a couple days off to go find this guy. 
That was a joke, but the other part was true. Um, so they're trying to work that out. We don't like that. We don't like it when things happen like that. So there's something that the Bible, Jesus has to do this kind of stuff. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 23. We're talking about hypocrites this morning. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, and we're going to pause there for a second. So notice, who is this address going to? Who is Jesus talking to right now? To who? The crowds and to his disciples. And Jesus then says this, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So Moses is the Jewish people. They would have understood that Moses was the judge. Moses was Moses was their leader. Moses was prophet. Moses was the person that went between the people of Israel and God. So Jesus says, the scribes, the Pharisees, these are like your religious leaders. These are the people that read the Bible, understand the Bible. And so he says, these people, they sit on Moses' seat. They're your authority. Jesus says, so therefore do whatever they teach you to do. Wait, hold on. Therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it. So Jesus is affirming that the Pharisees and the scribes, these are your teachers, these are like your pastors almost. Whatever they tell you to do, do it, because they understand. Now, the other part of this is that in those times, people didn't have a Bible like we have today. So today, if most of us who have smartphones, you can go online and download any version of the Bible for a couple of bucks. There's all sorts of free Bibles that we can get. We can go down to the book and Bible house down the road and buy any number of Bibles that we want. We can find Bibles at Barnes & Noble, and oh, Borders doesn't exist anymore, right? But of these bookstores, you can find Bibles everywhere. We have so many Bibles. I have a shelf at home that is dedicated just to my Bibles of the different translations. I like to collect Bibles. But in the first century, people didn't have access to Bibles. You would actually have to go to a synagogue. And, and sometimes there would be only one Bible for an entire region. So think maybe in Orange County, there was only one place that you could go to hear the Word of God. Then you would go there, even if it meant driving to, you know, uh, San Clemente, I guess. I don't know, wherever. But you get the idea. Bibles were scarce back then. And sometimes they didn't even have all of the Bibles. Sometimes they just had different parts of the Bible. So when Jesus says, look... Listen to what the scribes and Pharisees say. What he's really saying is, hey, it's pretty good to listen to what the Bible says. It's pretty good for you. So go and listen to what the Pharisees and the scribes have to say. I mean, that's the best they could do. They did not have access to the Bibles. So he says, do what they teach you to do, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. It's the $1 million reward promised to someone and then taken away. It's the pastor not leaving a tip because she's trying to make a point that they don't deserve more than God. It's hypocrisy. And nobody, nobody likes hypocrites. And it's very easy for us to look and point and say that person's a hypocrite. But the truth and the reality is that we are all a little bit hypocritical. Right? Right? <laughs> you know, people always say, I don't like to go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites. To which I always say, there's hypocrites everywhere. There's hypocrites everywhere. That shouldn't be a reason why you don't come to church. So we go on with the story. 
Matthew chapter 23. So we're skipping a few verses because I can't go through all of it in one sitting. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus continues, right? So he starts with what I just read, and now he goes to the next part. And Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Now, in Leviticus chapter 20, no, in Leviticus chapter 27. Now, Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Um, If you ever have nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon or any other day of the week, maybe you're having a hard time falling asleep. I encourage you, open up your Bible to the book of Leviticus and you will snooze instantly. It is chapter after chapter of laws. And it's not just like, like, like don't speed kind of laws or don't kill people. It's you come in contact with this, 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 or this, then you will be unclean until either sundown or you will be unclean for seven days, or it's just a ton of stuff. All right, I spent a couple hours reading through that while I was on my... And it wasn't fun. I'm a pastor. I love God. I like reading the Bible, but that was horrible. horrible. It was boring, but I read it for you guys, because I love you guys. <laughs> but the truth is, is that there was a law in, in Leviticus 27, verse 30, amidst all these laws... And it says, all tithes from the land, whether the seed from the ground or the fruit from the tree, are the Lord's. So basically, you take 10% of all of your crops, your fruits, your vegetables, and you give them to the, to the priests at the temple, and then they would take care of them, and they would do all sorts of things with them and give them away and eat them. But Jesus, or rather, the, the Bible says, God says that a 10% of all that you have goes to God. So what the scribes and Pharisees did is that they went way, way over the line when it came to tithing. So they started, they were telling people the kind of stuff you season your food with and dill and what was the other one, and your seeds? Give 10% of that. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, went way beyond the biblical text. And they were telling you tithe on everything. It's like if you find change in your drawer, you know that drawer at home where you have, whenever you have change, you just throw it in there. It's like them saying, you need to tithe on that too. It was so nitpicky and they were focused so much on the minutia that God says, you guys are hypocrites and here's why. Now tithing is good, but this is what Jesus says. You do all those things, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Now, Jesus doesn't say that tithing is bad. In fact, Jesus affirms it, and he says, fine, if you want to tithe from the dill, the mint, and the cumin, the kind of stuff that you season your food with, if you want to tithe on that, that's great. That's fine. Jesus has no problem with that. What he has a problem with is that they were focusing so much on the minutia of the law. They were nitpicking so much that he says in the process of trying to be good tithers, people who give 10% of their income, you've neglected what Jesus... Now, these are Jesus' words, not mine, not anybody else's. You have neglected the weightier things of the law. Another way to say it is you have neglected the more important aspects of the law. There were some laws that were more important than others. Justice, mercy, and faith. Giving 10% of your income doesn't require very much. I mean, yeah, 10% can be painful, I know. 
But giving 10% is pretty easy. You can write a check. You can withdraw money from the ATM. Whatever you give to God, you take it. You put it in the offering plate. You're done. The physical action that it takes to do that is very easy. You write something. You put it in the, in the, in the offering plate. That's easy. Anybody can do that. So Jesus is saying, like, you think you're good religious people because you tithe, but you're missing out on the more important. I would say this. Justice, mercy, and faith are probably more important because they are also harder for us. They involve more. They require more of you. It may feel good to tithe, and I know it feels good when you tithe that 10%, and you're just like, ah, I know that's a lot of money. Even if you don't make a lot of money, but 10% is 10% no matter what, right? It feels good to give that to God. But Jesus says that it's more important to seek justice, to be merciful, and to develop your faith. Those things are more important because they actually require you to love others. Justice, mercy, faith. You see, what we find from the beginning of the scriptures until the end, and what you find a lot in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, is that Jesus places an emphasis on you and I learning how to love better, how to love our neighbors better. If you look at when Jesus, there's one, there is one scene of judgment in the Gospels, and that scene is did your faith work itself out in the actions of loving other people? So in, I believe it's Matthew 25. Help me out. 25 or 26? Where Jesus is standing there and he says, um, and the people are like, hey, we did all this stuff for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I never knew you. What chapter is that? 25? 26? Bible trivia. This wasn't in my notes. 25. Yeah, the judgment of the nations. And Jesus looks and he says, you know, I I never knew you. All these people saying, we did all these beautiful things for you. And Jesus says, I never knew you. And then he turns to another group and he says, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You were there for the orphan. Jesus says, to whom you have done that? Whom you, sorry. When you did it to the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus places a high emphasis on you learning to love others well. Not just like, hey, Jeremiah, I love you. I mean, I've never said that to him, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not just about saying the words. It's about showing him through my friendship and through being there for him when he needs me, right? For Jesus, he says, you have to learn to love others. And the way you do that is by seeking justice, by being merciful, and by developing your faith. Jesus says, it's good to tithe, hypocrites, to the Pharisees and the scribes. He goes, but in the process, you've neglected the more important things. For Jesus, some things matter more than others. And so then the last part of this passage is this. You, he says, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I think I have a picture of this. So this, what this is supposed to be is some sort of a container, like a bucket, and then there's a piece of, piece of cloth over it, and then there's like a liquid, Right? So this is the point that Jesus was making. If you guys don't think that Jesus had a sense of humor, look at what he's trying to say. He says, look, there was also a law that you couldn't eat certain insects and gnats, right? That's what he says, you know. So he says, you go through this painstaking process. 
of filtering your drinks, your water, your wine, whatever it is you're drinking, making sure that you take out all of the insects and all of the gnats out of it. He says, because you don't want to be unclean, because if you had a gnat, you would become unclean until the evening, and then you had to wash and do all these ritual cleansings. And so Jesus says, you do that, but, but you're okay swallowing a camel, another unclean animal that they weren't. It's not that they were eating a camel. Jesus is just being ironic, and he's saying, you try to go for the little, but in the process, you're unclean because you're not doing any of the other stuff I'm asking you to do. So Jesus is making a point. Don't just tithe. Don't just do the religious things. Don't just come to church. Don't just dress up the right way for church. Don't just say the right words in front of your friends. Don't just do all of these external things and pretend like, okay, now you're a good Christian. Jesus says it's about all the other stuff that people don't see. Matthew 23, very next verse, 25. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may also be clean. Now, you're probably not going to believe this, but there was actually two schools of thoughts in the first century as to the proper way to clean a, a cup and a plate. Now, it wasn't between, you know, uh, two groups of, like, sanitary right, companies or whatever. No, it was actually two schools of Jewish thought. So it would be like the Seventh-day Adventist church arguing with the Baptist church that you only have to clean the inside of the cup because the outside's always dirty. And then the Baptist church saying, no, you have to clean both the inside and the outside. Sounds dumb, right? Like, why don't you just wash both, right? But this was an actual debate in the first century. And so Jesus takes this debate that they already understand, and Jesus says, clean both. You see, the Pharisees were so worried about what people saw on the outside, that they had their externals down, right? If they would go to the temple to give alms, right, to give money to the needy, um, there's a story that says that they would lift up their hand as high as possible and drop it so that there was more distance that fell by the time it hit the rest of the and it would make a lot of noise, and some people would look, right? Because we look when we hear noises. They were so worried about what people saw that that's all they did, all of those external religious things. But inside, they were dirty, Inside, they were only doing this because they wanted other people to think that they were holy, that they were pious, and that they were good religious people. Thank God we don't do that today. Of course we do. That's a big part of the problem, is that there is a disconnect between who we, who, we, who we know God wants us to be and who we actually are. There's a disconnect between what we believe to be true and who we actually are. And what Jesus is wanting is for our words to come together with our actions so that we learn to practice what we preach. For Jesus, it was a gospel of wholeness, is that he is coming to mend us, to shape us, to heal us, so that we wouldn't have to worry about being hypocrites. It's easy to do the externals, but if the inside doesn't match who we are on the outside, then people will think we are hypocrites. And then the final passage, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth, so that you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is another picture that Jesus paints. Um, The month before Passover, Passover was the big festival for the Jewish people where they reminded yearly that God rescued them from Egypt and he brought them into the promised land. That's what the Passover is. And so every year they would celebrate that in Jerusalem. So a month before Passover, the Pharisees would go out, get people to wash all of the tombs. and, And, you know, Jesus says whitewash them. So they make them as clean as possible. They were made out of stuff that was white. And the reason they did that is because people coming from outside of the region to Jerusalem for Passover, they wanted to make sure that these tombs were very visible so that people wouldn't come in contact with them by accident. Because there was another teaching in the book of Leviticus that if you came in contact to a tomb or the bodies of dead people, you would be unclean, and then you had to go through all sorts of um, ritual cleansings. The problem was that if you were unclean, you couldn't participate in the Passover. So... How much of a um, disappointment would it be if you traveled from an hour, two hours, two days, three days, four days away, you came and you accidentally weren't watching where you stepped and you stepped on a tomb, then you would be unclean and then you'd list if they don't shape you and inform the way you live. You can know every single Bible verse. You can have Bible verses memorized for all sorts of occasions you can wear the right clothes to church. You can show up to church on time. Uh, you can ev- even come to women's Bible study and men's Bible study and Friday night Bible study. Um, you can give 10% of your tithe plus 3% on the church budget. You can say all of the right words like happy Sabbath brother or happy Sabbath sister or all of these phrases. There's this Christianese that we learn, right? You can do all of that and still miss the point. This is Jesus' call to you to get your heart in tune with the way you live your life. Here's the thing. Just because somebody has it all together on the outside or looks like they have it all together on the outside, how many of you know somebody who, who looks like they have it all together on the outside, but the substance of their being, you know that they don't? I don't mean people who are struggling. I mean, there's people who talk a really good game Right? They know how to say all the right things, and they say, yeah, I'll do this, I'll be there, I'll do this. But then time after time, they fail to live up to that. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. If you truly want to be faithful to me, if you want to have a serious relationship with who I am, then learn to love others well. Don't get so caught up on the externals, because people see through the externals. Don't get so caught up on the show of religion or of being religious, but rather live it by substance. Here at Orange, um, in order for us to try to be a faithful church, we're trying to take what the Bible says and live it out in a way where we are showing God's love and grace to others. It's what we do when we have a barbecue with our homeless brothers and sisters. It's a pat on the back for us, right? But the truth is, is that they bless us while we are giving to them. It's what's going to be next Saturday, the fourth Saturday of every month. It's Pastor Amanda taking a group of as many of you who want to go, or unless there's a limit, I don't know. 
um, to, to a, uh, is it a rehab facility, a convalescent type, convalescent slash rehab facility here in Chapman um, to go and just show these elderly that there's people out there who love them. They may not be your grandparent. They may not be your parents. You may never have met these people, but it's us trying to say God loves you and we want to just spend time with you and we want to play board games with you and we want to hang out and we are going to share um, scripture with them because they've actually asked us to have a, a worship service for them. It's the group of people that go out to the prisons and just ministering to these women at the women's jail. I mean, you don't realize how good you have it until you've been there. Because they have to stay in a room confined 24 hours a day. I mean, they let them go out for here and there, but not outside a building. It's our desire to want to be there for the orphans because when God looks, and I know we don't like words of judgment. I know that. We're all about grace. I know that. But I still have to wrestle with the words of Jesus when he says, it's when you've done things to the least of them that you've done them to me. It's Orange Seventh-day Adventist trying to be faithful to the call of God on our lives. God loves that we worship on Sabbath. God loves that you tithe. God loves that you dress nice for him, I guess. God loves all that stuff. But what I truly believe from what I've read in Scripture is that God loves it even more when we take everything we've learned in here and we transfer it into how we live our lives out there. So I have a quote, I have a story, and one Bible verse left. Here's the quote. We talk a pretty good game, but our real problem is with actions, with follow-through. We talk too much and do too little. We verbalize so well, but we actualize so poorly. We speak so eloquently, but perform inadequately. Talking a good game is not enough. Only when our words are translated into action are they authenticated. Now the story. I started with stories of people or of situations that were very hypocritical, and we hate it when that happens. Now here's a story to kind of redeem hope in people. Um, I believe it was in, actually I don't know what city it was, but there was a homeless man who sits at the same spot in his little, in the town where he lives. He sits in the same spot with the cup and he asks for money. And so one day this lady thought that she would be generous and kind. And so she said, you know what, I'm going to give this guy some money. So she opens up her coin purse and she pours everything into the cup. Maybe a couple of bucks, but it's still better than nothing. When she got home that day, or the very next day, she reached into her coin purse to grab something she had placed in there the day before. Apparently, her wedding and engagement rings were bothering her. I guess that's what happens when you have big ones. I don't know, you know. (laughs) And it was bothering her, so she takes it out and puts it in her coin purse, thinking, okay, I'll put them on later. But that day, she emptied all that into this guy's cup. Now, if that's you, if you're that homeless person, you're like, man, I just struck it rich. So when the lady finds out, she goes back the next day. She comes up to him and she says, do you remember me? And he was like, I don't know. I see a lot of people (laughs) every day. And she says, I think I gave you something very valuable. He still had the ring. What he actually says is, I knew that if it was real, it was very valuable because of its size. He held on to it for her, and then he gave it back to her the next day. 
We don't expect homeless people to do that kind of thing, right? I'm not, it's not judgment. I'm just saying, no, we don't. Because for some reason, somewhere in our minds, we think that they, wouldn't, they don't have it in them to do what's right. And yet what we find time and time again is that God works through the people that we don't expect God to work through. Because the religious people fail God. The scriptures is about the religious people learning not just to show religious outward actions before their hearts to be transformed in such a way that we as religious people become the purveyors of hope, of love, of grace, ambassadors of reconciliation and peace to the world around us. Not just in some mission field far away, but when you go to work, but with your family. By the way, you are the greatest ambassador for God in your home because that's the hardest place to do it. Amen? We, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's where we're most ourselves, right? Where we get to yell and be angry, whatever. And yet that's where God is calling us to be the most loving and faithful and kind and merciful and gracious and forgiving and compassionate <laughs> and generous. <laughs> I can go on. <laughs> You're only laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> But that's a story of redemption and of grace. That's a story of this man having owing no one anything and yet giving back the most valuable thing to this lady. And then we fit, oh, here's a picture of the whitewashed tombs. And then here's the last, the last passage that I have with you. Jesus talking about religious people. By the way, when the Bible writers talk about the scribes and the Pharisees, it's very easy for us to say that that was them. But I have a feeling that if Jesus were here today, instead of saying scribes and Pharisees, he would say Seventh-day Adventists, Baptists, Lutherans, Church of Christ, Catholics. What else do we have? All tons, right? That's who Jesus would be talking about. So this is what Jesus says. He goes, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If you've ever worried about looking the right way when you come to church or saying the right words or having it all together, God's not looking for that. What God is wanting and desiring is that your heart would be so filled with joy, with love, with grace, with compassion, that it would overflow the actions and into the way that you live your life. This sermon is God's warning us, don't worry about the outside so much because I'm not really looking at the outside because the Bible tells us that God looks into your hearts, and that's who you truly are. So I would finish with this. These are the ways that we can try not to be hypocritical to get our hearts in the right way. I would say this. Your relationship with God defines your relationship with everyone else. I'm going to say that one more time. Your relationship with God defines your relationship with everyone else. So, If God has acted towards you with grace, then you should treat others with grace. If you have experienced forgiveness, then you need to forgive others. If God has shown you mercy, then you must be merciful. If God has been compassionate towards you, you must be compassionate towards others. If God has been generous to you, then you need to be generous with others. And if God has loved you, then you need to show others love. My prayer is that our hearts would be in tune with our words and that our words would be in tune with how we live our lives.
so that when God looks down on us, that he would say, you are my great and faithful servants. Will you pray with me? God, we, we don't like it when the Bible stares us in the face and forces us to change. We don't like it when we see ourselves in the woes, Lord, because we would hope that we would be better than that. But my prayer now for my brothers and my sisters who are here this morning is that you would help our hearts, our minds, our souls, our words, and our actions to be as one. That we would be authentic in this world so that when people see us, they would only see the very best of us and they would see the very best of you. May we learn to live authentic, genuine lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.